movies where they have that moment where it's like, hey, stand up and just greet someone around you, right? I, I just feel that's like fake. So what we do is we just dive right in. Hey, not only greet someone near you, but go ahead and talk about a deep theological question, right? Like, that's awesome, is it not? And I would propose to you, so this is a little mini-sermon, 30-second mini-sermon before my main sermon. Adam and Eve modeled for us, you cannot try to find life apart from God. Life can only be found in and with God. All right, Acts chapter 4, turn there if you would. Acts chapter 4, we get to finish out the chapter. We, we dove into it a little bit last week for Easter. He is risen! And guess what? It's still Easter, isn't it? Yeah, so those of you that came for Easter and came back the, the week after, that's against the grain right there. I love it. So welcome back. Acts chapter 4. We get to talk about Barnabas today, who is really named Joseph. Barnabas was his nickname, and the nickname means he's the encourager. And we get to dive into this, this character study. I love looking at uh, these characters of Scripture and, and what we can learn from them. And I couldn't help but make the connection to a, a character that uh, has really exploded on the scene and has become real popular, and his name's Ted Lasso. Give it up for Ted Lasso. Any fans of Ted Lasso out there? All right, so my wife and I are, are late bloomers when it comes to the, the Ted Lasso thing. And uh, I'm going to tell you right now, Ted Lasso is a killer character. In the sense, that if you're not familiar with Ted Lasso, so here is this uh, kind of a rednecky kind of uh, football coach from America who gets hired by an English soccer team, professional soccer team, to, to ultimately, he's hired on to destroy the club. They're hiring someone intentionally to come in and destroy the soccer team or football team, right? And so uh, what they don't know is what Ted Lasso lacks as far as knowledge about football or soccer, he makes up for in loving people unconditionally. Ted Lasso is one of those guys who comes in and never meets a stranger and is just bringing this just incredible spirit of encouragement and happiness and joy. He's making biscuits for people to brighten their day. He's making allusions to American culture that just are flying by. Like, I need to sit there with a pad of paper and be like, man, that's a good quip. I like that. I need to use that for my sermon sometime. But he's just one of those guys that you want so much to not like him or despise him, but you can't help but love him. He is a modern-day Barnabas. He is a modern-day dude who comes in, and not again with the Spirit of God or Jesus, but just this genuine sense of he loves people. Does he have his own stuff that he needs to deal with in his personal life? Yeah. But it doesn't deter him from being this breath of fresh air, for bringing hope into hopeless environments, for bringing encouragement into discouraging situations. Ted Lasso is one of those heroes that we go, you know, with his flaws, we can't help but love him. And the world is awarding the show. People are going crazy about the show. Why? Because our culture, our world, longs for people like Ted Lasso. And I'm going to tell you right now, if there's anyone that ought to be the Ted Lasso's in our worlds, it's the people who claim to love Christ. Why do we have to let Apple 
plus stream a show about a character that you can't help but love and have that get all the applause. It's not for the kingdom. And I'm sitting there going, you watch Ted Lasso. It is a clinic on how to be a human being and treat one another with kindness. My wife and I are like, should we watch another one? Yeah. You know, it's 2 a.m. in the morning. We're just been watching Ted Lasso, right? Like, it's awesome. We don't stay up that late. We love Jesus. But, but <laughs> that aside, it is one of those things. I sit there and I'm going, why isn't the church like this? Why do we tend to not be the encouragers, the supporters, the helpers, and we tend to pride ourselves in having the spiritual gift, which is no such thing, of condemnation and criticism. <laughs> criticism and condemnation is not a spiritual gift. No one has appointed you to be the Holy Spirit on earth to go around and talk about this negative thing or point out that flaw or point out other people's weaknesses. Let me just say right now, I do a hard enough job on myself with that. I don't need you to come along to confirm these things. And you don't need people to come along in your life to also do that thing. We need to know that there's a God of hope. There's a God who has gifted us with this ability to connect one another on deep levels and doggone it to lift one another up, not tear one another down. So am I asking for God to bring the spirit of Ted Lasso here today? Yes! Because it is embodied in a character by the name of Joseph who is nicknamed Barnabas. This is the original Ted Lasso. Acts chapter 4, turn there. We need to be encouraging people. Because our God is a God of encouragement. Our God is a God of hope. He is a God who lifts people up. He is the one who's lifted me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay, and has put me on solid footing and put a new song in my mouth that says, he is alive. He is worthy of praise. He is worthy of glory. Come and join me in the praise of this great, sovereign, and awesome, loving king. We live in a world that's just trying to crush us, and we have a, love, a God who's trying to restore us. This is what Jesus does, reverses the curse in the garden, Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3, right? We have a God who says, even though death and sin is trying to destroy you, there is a God, and his name is Jesus, and he has come to give you life and life abundantly. He's come to give you joy and joy abundantly. But we miss out on being the instruments of helping one another be joyful. This is where encouragement comes in. We got to fight for this we got to pray that God restores this sense of encouragement in the body of Christ. We need one another. And we need one another to be Barnabases to one another. And so we turn to Acts chapter 4. We're preaching, baby. We're, 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 we're full tilt now. I need some Kleenex. I'm going to tell you ahead of time, I need some Kleenex. Someone throw me some tissue. I'm not one of those old school Baptist preachers who carries around a handkerchief like, oh, glory. I could be. I, someone, get on that. <laughs> Acts 4, check it out. So, yeah. Oh, thank you, dear. Appreciate it. Oh, I got to unpack it and all that. I think this might be enough for first service. I might need a second pack for a second. I don't know. <laughs> Acts chapter 4, check this out. So, here we are. And I'm going to ask you, too, to go, jump ahead here in a moment to Acts 9, Acts 11. 
because Barnabas is such an amazing character. Um, Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. So the church is, is thumping and bumping. You know what I'm saying? The church is growing. The church is exploding. Twenty to 30,000 30, people have come to know Christ in a period of a couple months. This is what the resurrection of Jesus does. It does a supernatural work. It brings earthquakes, but more than earthquakes, it brings a heart change, and people are coming to Christ by the droves. And verse 32 says, And the congregation of those believed and were of one heart and one soul. That's called unity. We need unity. Amen. Not one of them claimed that anything belonged to himself. They were selfless, not selfish. But all things were common property to everybody. When, when, when are we going to be able to just pull out our car keys and say, hey, who needs a car to use this week? I don't see anyone jumping at that. Okay, we'll, we'll come back to that. All right. Here's the keys to my house. You need a bed to sleep in? Go ahead. Right? It's easy to give someone a couple bucks. A whole lot different to trust somebody with your car. And with great power, not from themselves, the apostles were given witness to the resurrection, i.e. power, and abundant grace was upon them all. When you have a genuine relationship with God, there is not only unlimited power, there is unending grace. Unending grace. For there was not a needy person among them. Amen. What kind of world is that? I want to be a part of that. For all who were owners of lands and houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales to the apostles, dump them at their feet, and would just be distributed to each as they might have need. The person giving the money didn't care where the money went as long as it helped somebody else, which is awesome. We're going to trust the leadership of the church. You know far better who needs what. Someone once said to me in one of my previous ministries, uh, they were a big giver, but with their big giving, they said, please don't F with God's money. But they used another word instead. So I thought to myself, okay, I like that. We don't want to F with God's money. Amen? All right. So here we go. And Joseph, here he is, Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth. Levite was his religion Cyprus was his birthplace. This is important. We're going to come back to it. He's also called Barnabas. This was his nickname. He lived a certain life where they said, everyone might know you as Joseph. I'm going to tell you what, we're going to give you a nickname. You're the encourager. That was his nickname. Write that down. The, they would say, uh-oh, here comes the encourager. And I don't think people ran to hide. I think they're like, hoo what are you going to say? What are you going to do? Like this guy was just a breath of fresh air, a voice of optimism. He had this presence of good. Here comes the encourager. He owned a track of land, sells it, brings the money, lays it at the apostles' feet. It's interesting that he is specifically named as being this, this giver. In the church, he's the lead giver. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's a reason why. Because Barnabas pops up again in the book of Acts. May God write his eternal truths upon our hearts this morning. Amen. Turn into your outline. We're going to take a few, I encourage you to jot down a few notes. Joseph, <laughs> nicknamed the encourager, 
He was a respected and important leader in the early life of the church, and you're going to see why here in a moment. It's his selflessness that stands out. He is mentioned at least 25 times in the book of Acts and another five times in other epistle writings. He is an important figure. Every mention of him in the book of Acts pictures him as an encourager. 25 times every instant, encouraging, 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 encouraging. And I'm just going to, I think there's a case to be, to be had that says God loves giving power to those who are encouraging people. You sit there and go, I can't. I'm going to tell you right now, it's not that you can't, it's that you won't. We are too busy. Uh, we're like starving ticks on dead dogs, trying to, try, trying to live life apart from God. When you live life in the Spirit, and I'm going to make this defense here in a moment, when you live life in the Spirit, God gives you this unending sense to be selfless and give. And He will do it without end, and you'll look back and go, I don't know where the power came from, and I don't know where, <laughs> where the stamina came from, but you're able to do it. Stop looking for people to give you what they are not ultimately meant to give you. Only God can give you what you deeply need. But never stop being ready and willing and available to be opened by God to be used in another person's life. And even when you feel like you don't have a cup to give, give and watch God restore you and fill you. That is a promise, not just taught, it's got to be caught. It is amazing how you can have, you can just go, 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 go. I had a week in Kentucky this week with 12,000 pastors, and I got to hang out with my brother and my brother-in-law, and we barely slept. But you know what? You would never, ever guess that we never slept. Why? Because we were running on bourbon. The, I mean, uh, we were running on Jesus the whole time. <laughs> no, you want to know why? Because we were so fixated on the gospel of Jesus Christ and the fact that we're with other brothers in, in, the, in the ministry and in the trenches, that it was so life-giving for one another. Yeah, we're running on two, three hours of sleep, but you didn't feel tired. Why? Because you're doing the work of the kingdom. You're tapping into a, a whole vein of energy that comes from God that, that again, it, you can't teach, you've got to catch it. There's not a person here who can't be used as an encourager in someone else's life. Let's look, let's look at this character, Barnabas, in, in, in greater detail this morning. Like I mentioned, look at verse uh, 36, 37. So he was of the tribe of Levite, which is interesting because the Levites were the ones who were in charge of the worship of, of Israel's culture. These were the families that were set apart by God who were busy with the temple duties. They were basically like the Old Testament pastors, and they were commanded not to own property. But it's interesting that Joseph did own property, but it's because he was a foreigner and not a local that he was able to have property. But look how willingly he was to get rid of his property to encourage somebody else. And he was a foreigner, so he could connect with what the gospel was doing, not just in Jer Jerusalem, but in Judea, Samaria, and uttermost parts of the world. He had a heart for the foreigners. He had a heart for those people who were marginalized or not necessarily accepted into the Jerusalem church. He was a bridge builder between Gentiles and Jews. So he could totally understand everything that was going on in this first century context as God was growing his church. And yet he's given this nickname, the encourager. If, if, if mature believers were to look at your life and give you a nickname based upon their impressions of you, what would it be? 
What would it be? I have a feeling that I think, I think some of us would walk down the street and there'd be people be like, oh no, here comes the complainer. Here comes the complainer. Uh-oh, oh no, here comes, here comes the one who's so negative. Here comes the one who's so negative. Right? What, would, what would not only the believing people say, but what would unbelieving people say about you? You know? Boy, I want us to be seen as, by those who, who just go, wow, that, that person's a life giver. That person's a hope infuser. That one, that person's such, they're so joyful. I want to be around them. This is, this is, this is how I'd summarize Barnabas' life. He, he was one who was so willing to lay money down and lift people up. He was so willing to get rid of all his stuff in order that he might have relationship. He saw possessions as nothing to be possessed, but people to be prized and cherished. What kind of person are you? Do people see you as one who loves your stuff more than you love people? He is a picture of a gospel-transformed man. And probably before the Apostle Paul, he's the most notable teacher in the church. He shines as one of the most mature, reliable, lovable leaders. Five things I want to point out about this man's life. Number one, his goodness. His goodness. Go to chapter 11, Acts chapter 11, if you would, with me. And uh, great scene here. So, And we're going to come back to chapter 9, so Paul's conversion. But, but first, we have to talk about the foundation of an encourager. Look at uh, chapter 11, starting at verse 19. So then those who were uh, scattered because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. So because persecution's happening in Jerusalem, these people are being forced to scatter all over this, this, this Mediterranean world. And they're entering into environments where they don't know people. They're entering into environments where there's non-Jewish people. There's, there's Gentile people. And so there's a lot of uncomfortable stuff going on, right? But, but the word is still being taken out and being spread. And there were some of them, verse 20, the men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. So even in their difficulties, they still had a message to proclaim. Just because you're going through a tough season doesn't mean Christ can't be exalted, right? Just because you're going through difficulties doesn't mean God can't be glorified. I think so many times we wallow in our, in our pity parties and we're hurting and we're suffering and we forget about that the hurting and suffering is not just something you're experiencing, but it's an event that God wants to use to hopefully point people to Christ. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number believed and turned to the Lord. Right? We got a harmony of babies <laughs> chirping away. I love it, right? <laughs> Back to the word, 22. And the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. So the message of what God was doing in these foreign territories, the reports were coming back to Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. They... They recognize there's a baby church growing in other parts of the region. Who shall we send? They had no other option other than, we got to send the encourager. Why? 
because he could be a bridge builder. Again, this is the gospel growing in Gentile territory. And if there's anyone understood the importance of the link between the Jewish and Gentile church, because the enemy would love to use divisions for, for his purposes, it doesn't matter if you're black and white. It doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. If you have Christ, we are one in him. How dare we diversify the body of Christ on issues that God says, why are you diversifying? Stay together. And so Barnabas was that unifying factor. It doesn't say, well, they went to a vote and they presented 20 names. They all knew among 30,000 believers in Jerusalem, who do we need to send? You send the encourager. Why would they send him? Look at verse 23. Then they had come and witnessed the grace of God. When he had come, he witnesses, he sees the grace of God. Note that. We're going to come back to it. He witnesses the grace of God. He rejoices because of what he's seen. He begins to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Notice his message of encouragement. Keep going. Stay faithful. Verse 24. Here we get to the heart. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were being brought to the Lord. Stop right there. Someone walks up to Jesus and says, good teacher. He says, stop. Why are you calling me good? No one is good but God. Whoa, <laughs> he trains Rex that conversation right out of the get-go. But it's true. Goodness does not exist from God. He, in his holy, perfect character, is good. And he shares his goodness with his creation through lives that are changed because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Amen? Now there's good, and it's not a goodness that's derived of ourselves. It's a goodness that comes because the gift of God in salvation brings the Spirit, and one of the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. So he is full of the Spirit, and he's full of faith. Can I just tell you right now, this is the, this is the cooperative nature of what God wants to do in our hearts by means of a spirit, which is divine enablement, and then our faith, which walks in the spirit, trusting God daily, that's the human exercise of what God's doing. When divine enablement meets human exercise, meaning we have to obey what God has declared to do, the lives to embrace that he has called us to embrace, when there is a cooperative effort, effort between the spirit and us, then you understand what it means to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Here is a man who kept in step with the Spirit, exercised faith, and God was moving in him and through him like crazy. Let me just tell you, you cannot be good without God. Not only to enter salvation, but even now walking with God, you still cannot be good apart from a continual dependence upon the Holy Spirit who's going to work in you and through you. If you are not evidencing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, goodness being one of the fruit, peace being one of the fruit, love, joy, patience, kindness, you ought to check your heart. Because 
right fruit indicates right root. But wrong fruit indicates wrong root. See, this man's goodness, the foundation of his life, was rooted in the gospel. And it was continually fed by the gospel. Let me encourage you, live your lives taking your cues from God. And as you take your cues from God, walk in faith and trust He knows what's best. Amen? Which brings us to our second point. It's not only just His goodness, which is the foundation, now he's guide, there's guidance, which is the focus of the encourager. You are continually being guided by God if you're in the Spirit. The question is, where, what's next? You ever ask this question to God, like, I don't know what you're doing, God, but what's next? And here's what God says, one foot after the other, one day at a time. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but we know a God who's in control of all future events, and what he says to you is what I may not reveal to you about your future. You need to walk with me and trust me because I'm the God of the future. So he is, a, he is a man who is guided, which is his focus, which is why he doesn't even blink an eye or bat an eye in going to Antioch. Here's something I want you to understand about Barnabas. They say to him, Barnabas, there are believers coming to know Jesus who are of the Gentile variety, and we need someone up there to go love that church. And Barnabas goes, and the next verse says, and he's in Antioch. <laughs> Like, he does, he does he even pack a backpack, a bag? Does he catch a train, plane? I don't know what it is. But all of a sudden, the next scene is he's in Antioch. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's no report of him ever going back home to Jerusalem. He is a man who is so guided by God that he is willing to go anywhere for the gospel because what's the focus? Is it his comfort? Is it his ease? Is it, is it you know, what's, what's just, oh, I'm, I'm content with, no. Oh. You know what his focus is? The kingdom. I'm going to tell you, when you live your life with the kingdom in perspective, you're going to end up in conversations with people you never thought you'd talk to before. You're going to end up in places you never thought you'd be in before, but you're going to feel that sense of purpose that this is exactly what God wants right now. I mean, look at verse chapter 11. It's awesome, right? Here's this man who just says, I am so yielded to God in my life that I'm going to trust him with every day, every second, every moment, every person, every conversation. And somehow I believe God wants to leverage it for the kingdom. Can I, can I encourage you with something real quick? When you follow the leading of God, You'll always have his protection, and you'll always feel his pleasure. Some of you are looking like, I don't buy it. Okay, let me sell it to you. There's no safer place to be than in the will of God. Amen? Yes, amen? From the baby, see, the children know, you adults don't know. There's no safer place to be than in the will of God. Because here's what the Spirit will do when you're walking in step with the Spirit is that you will feel the protection of your, your God and you will feel His pleasures forevermore. And somehow I think Barnabas, the encourager, knew this. He goes, I don't know what, 
He goes, I'm willing to take risk. Why? Because there is no such thing as a risk when leveraged for the kingdom because, oh, little flock, have you forgot his promises to give you the kingdom? Luke chapter 12. His goodness roots him in Christ. His guidance is, is fully surrendered to, to be yielded to wherever the Spirit wants to go. Third point, now we come to, I, I'm going to tell you right now, probably one of the greatest aspects of this man's life, and it's grace. The fuel of an encourager. What allows us to do the things that God wants us to do? Have you received God's grace? If so, say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay, that's a good 90% of you. The rest of you, I'm praying for you. Once you taste the grace, you want to be a conduit of that grace. When you've been loved unconditionally, you ought to love unconditionally. Grace is being given that which you don't deserve. Stop walking around life with a ledger, thinking about who's, who's worthy of your love and who isn't. God doesn't do that. He demonstrates his own love towards us that while we're yet sinners... Christ dies for us. And so grace becomes this fuel as we continue to taste grace. We long to give grace. It's it's the exercise of what God's doing. You feed yourself with grace and then you exercise the grace out. And here we see a man who just, the most significant, if you think about back to Acts chapter 4, the most significant thing that the writer Luke wants us to know about this is that he was given a nickname. He's the encourager. His name was changed because he embodied grace like no one else at this time. You, you ever been given a nickname? I'm going to go back to the nickname thing. People, when I was little, people used to call me Scooter. People called me Scooter. Why? Because I guess that's the next derivative of Scott. But what's amazing is even in my adult years, people still call me Scooter, and I never gave them permission to call me this. It's kind of a trigger. Like, it takes me back to junior high days. Like, now they call me, too. Like, uh-oh, here comes eight-shot caffeinated one. That's what they call me. Oh, here comes the spaz. Uh-oh, here comes the one who just doesn't ever not stop talking. My wife continues, just like, honey, stop. You're talking way too much. But why was he given the nickname the encourager? Because here's what I want you to see in three instances. He cares for the underdog. And if it's being willing, if it's being given a nickname and he's able to use that as cool, I'll use it to love those who need to be loved. The, the, the gift of empathy in his life is just so there. He cares for the underdog. He cares for the marginalized. He, this is, what's the opposite of encouragement? Discouragement. Discouragement happens when your hope leaks out of your life and you cower in fear with whatever's going on. And, and what encouragement is when a guy like Barnabas comes along and says, you know what, you need a hope infusion in your life. You can only infuse hope if you recognize a lack of it in someone's life. Which means you have to pay attention to other people and not just be so consumed about yourself. Too many of us are just like, oh me, this is what's going on. Not that we don't care, but guess what? We don't care. In the sense of people don't like such self-absorbed negative people. 
Here's the thing I know. We're all hurting. And all I know is that the German philosopher Schopenhauer says, we as humanity are like a bunch of porcupines. And we're, and, and we're porcupines in this blizzard and we're longing for warmth. And we know the only answer is to be together. But the problem in being together is we, we're going we're gonna to poke one another. So here are two choices, suffer in isolation or come together and prick one another. And I'm going to say we need to be pricks in one another's lives. Amen? <laughs> Why are you laughing? Naughty, naughty, naughty people. But here's the thing. Are you willing to allow me to prick you? And will, will I allow you to prick me so that we can suffer together with this sense of hopeful optimism because our suffering will ultimately come to an end? Don't you realize, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that though this momentary light affliction is nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory, all I know is in isolation, I can wallow in my pity party and I can be, woe is me, woe is me, and no one's going to care because people don't want that kind of person in their life. But when we suffer together and we sit there and go, yeah, woe is you, but hope in God, then everything changes. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul, the psalmist says, hope in God. Stop being so inward focused. People aren't going to gravitate to that. But what we're going to realize is that when we're open about our struggles in one another's lives and we point one another to God, He is our only hope, then there is something that the Spirit can use. We need each other. We need the gospel being preached not only to ourselves, but to one another. We need Jesus continually to be at the front and center of our affections and our attentions and our energy, right? Mo the moment I enter my, my, my pity party and I'm wallowing in my, my own muck is the moment that I forgot about Jesus. And Jesus says, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? You're looking at your heart. You're looking at your life. You're looking at your marriage. You're looking at your kids. You're looking at work. Like, stop looking at that and look at the thing that's only e eternally valuable, and that's Jesus. And if I'm not preaching that to myself, I need people in my life to preach that to me. So here comes Barnabas, who is, his, his nickname's not the critic. You know, we elevate, like, we, we pay, there's professional critics in our world, right? Like, you're not one of them, okay? We need encouragers. And so grace is this, this thing that works through him that allows him to, to encourage people. And I'm going to tell you right now, what's one of the most remarkable things about Barnabas is that he is willing to show grace who, to people who need that infusion of hope to lift them up. And, and these people go further than he does. Barnabas doesn't write a single part of the New Testament, yet he encourages at least two characters, Paul and Mark, who Paul writes 13 epistles and Mark writes the gospel of Mark. And he's willing to duck into the, the shadows in order for these men to go further than he could. So let's look at three, three, number one, Paul. Turn to Acts chapter nine. I love this scene because here's Paul who is Saul who is one of the lead persecutors of the early church. As a matter of fact, Paul orchestrated the death of those early believers and it says in the New Testament that there were people that would lay their cloaks at Paul's feet in order to engage in the act of killing believers. But Acts chapter 9, <laughs> Jesus 
interrupts Paul's journey to Damascus where he's going to go kill some more Christians and knocks him off his, his, his horse. He's blinded. He sees the risen Jesus, right? In this incredible moment where he is now a witness of the resurrected Lord and he's changed. And what I love is that Barnabas comes along and is that man who vouches for Paul's change of life. Look at uh, verse 23 of Acts 9. And when many days have lapsed, Jews plotted together to do away with Paul because he's preaching in Damascus. So this was the city he was going to to tell to kill Christians. Now he's going into the city to tell people about Jesus. Talk about a radical change of life. Jews did not like it, so they're going to try to kill him. Their plot became known to Saul, and they were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him there, meaning they were so intent on killing this guy, they blocked every entrance and exit into the, in and out of the city. So his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. Can I just tell you right now, I want to be the guy or dudes who helped Paul escape Damascus that night in heaven. Maybe I'll, like, what's your name? Hi, my name's Roger. Roger, tell me about yourself. Well, we were the guys that lowered Paul down the basket in Damascus. That's awesome! That's awesome, right? And when he had come to Jerusalem, so now he leaves Damascus, secret stealth mission, mission impossible kind of stuff, leaves Damascus, goes to Jerusalem. He was trying to associate with the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. He's the guy that goes in the prayer meeting, right? And he sits down next to you, and you know who it is, and you're praying with one eye open. Right? Like, what's this guy going to do to me? You ever felt like you wanted to associate with a group and they just wouldn't let you in? You ever felt like you're the, the, the one that's kind of being alienated, outcast? Paul was that guy who wanted to be accepted because he had a genuine conversion and yet it was the people of God who didn't show him love. Look at this. But Barnabas. Here comes the encourager. But Barnabas takes a hold of him. I love it. It's almost like he says, that's it. You're coming with me. Part of my encouraging is to rebuke the body of Christ, right? He, he goes, I'm going to walk into the next Bible study, next prayer meeting, and be like, uh, <clears throat> guys, you may recognize this guy. He tried to come to the last night's prayer meeting. You guys didn't like him there. It's almost like they liked him being a non-Christian more than they liked him being a Christian. And here's Barnabas, the encourager, who says, I vouch for this man. Isn't that awesome? He says, I'm going to take a hold of you. He brings them to the apostles, describes to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and he had talked to him, and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, and they were attempting. So all of a sudden, Barnabas, because he vouches for Paul, all of a sudden now he's included. Can I just tell you right now that there are going to be people in your life that you may not believe God's working in their lives because of their history, their experience, the way they look. I'm going to tell you right now, stop judging people by their past. Stop judging people by their appearance. Stop judging people by whatever sort of rumor or reputation has preceded them. Here's what you are called to do. You are called to love all people and especially those that are not like you. 
When I, became, I was saved at 15 years old, my hair was down to here. I wore skater board shorts, no shoes, and a handkerchief on my head. And I go to church, and I can't tell you how much I felt the, the leering eyes upon me, almost saying in innumerable ways, you're not welcome here. And there's this 86-year-old guy named John who came up to me, and his nickname was the Bear Hugger. So he wasn't the encourager, but he was the Bear Hugger, and he would grab me every Sunday I saw him, and he would hold me so tight, and I'd be like, I gotta breathe, please let me breathe, right? And he'd hug me, and he'd walk me in, and he'd sit with me, and he would minister to me, and he would pray for me. And you know what? Every Sunday, he did that. Until it kind of communicated to the church like, hmm, if John accepts Scott, maybe we should accept Scott. Darn right you should. There should never be a person that walks into any church that feels like, yeah, they don't want me there. Gandhi walks into a Baptist church. This is not a joke. Some of you are like, uh-oh, is this a joke? No, this is a true story. Gandhi walks into a Baptist church and the deacons of the church that are standing at the door welcoming guests block him from going and say, you're not welcome here. And Gandhi leaves and never steps foot in a church again. How dare those deacons do that? How dare we as the body of Christ blocks anybody from stepping foot into a church, into a coffee house, into our presence. We should be the ones welcoming sinners and tax collectors. We should be the ones welcoming the goths and the punks and the, the emos and, the, and the, the jocks and the whatever, the hipsters and the gamers and whatever. Fill in the blank. You should not be a deterrent, but you should be a road, a pathway to Jesus. Stop. Praise God, not all of our communities look like Sun City and not all of our communities look like West Chandler, not all of our communities. We need diversity. We need there to be this beauty of this mosaic of all different types of people from all different types of backgrounds with all different types of interests, with all different political views, with all different whatever, but there's one thing in common. We have Jesus. There's something to be celebrated there because God wants unity in the midst of, uh, harmony in the midst of, of unity and diversity. So Stop. We need Barnabases to say, you're welcome here. And if those guys, you tell me, I, I wonder if Paul, uh, Barnabas was like, you show me who gave you a stink eye, and I'll, 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 go, I'll go love him in the name of Jesus. You guys know what the stink eye is, right? <laughs> Perhaps this is why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Perhaps this moment triggered his heart to say, you say you speak with the tongues of angels and you have not love? What, what good is your faith? You, you cast out demons? You speak in tongues? You, you have incredible acts of charity, but you have not love? God has a word for your religious activity. Empty! until you're willing to love the most unlovable, until you're willing to accept those who feel dejected, they feel uninvited, they feel unaccepted. I don't want to promote that. I want to do away with that and do whatever I can to say, come in. 
You who are weary and heavy laden, come in. You who are downtrodden, come in. You who are alienated, there should be no marginalized people in this world if the body of Christ is present. Paul is blessed by the encourager. And not only is Paul blessed, look at back at Acts chapter 11, the believers in Antioch are blessed. Because these are the new kids on the block, not the band, but the believers in the first century. These are the, these are the, the Gentiles that God said, that's who I'm spreading the gospel to. See, the gospel is not just for Jews only, it's for, it's for the Gentiles, and Barnabas need to be that link. And it's an imperfect church. Can I just tell you right now, there's a lot of, every church is an imperfect church. Can I get an amen? You go looking for the imperfect church, you show up there, you're going to ruin it. So stop. Just settle somewhere. But it's an imperfect church. And what do you need in a church that is fumbling and bumbling and yet doing it for the glory of God? You need Barnabases there who are going to encourage the work because, again, we are so apt to take our buckets of criticism and throw it on whatever fire God is trying to, to birth there. And we don't need more people dousing out the work of the Spirit and discouraging hearts. We need hope infusers where God is doing a fresh and new work, however imperfect it may be. Barnabas could always find something good to encourage in people. Can I tell you right now, this is what takes work. To, to find that thing to encourage somebody in. And it takes discipline. And I'm going to tell you right now, you will be able to find the exact area that that person needs that infusion of hope 15 minutes after talking to them. Ask them questions. Find out about their lives. Stop being so self-absorbed. Being self-absorbed is not a spiritual gift. And the moment you take at least, I'm going to tell you, 15 minutes to find out about someone's story, you're going to see a, a moment, an in, where that person needs a hope infusion. Give it. The reason you don't know how to infuse hope is that you're not concerned about others. You're concerned about yourself. Philippians chapter 2, consider others as more important than yourself. Do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit, but lift one another up. Because who models this perfectly? Jesus. Lastly, John Mark, who was Barnabas's cousin, Colossians chapter 4. Here's a young believer who's just like, he's just chomping at the bit, like, I want to serve God, I want to serve God, I want to serve God. Paul and Barnabas and John Mark are on a trip, and John Mark fails. We don't know the details, but he fails. Can I just tell you right now, your pastor will fail you. Matter of fact, why don't we say that in unison? On the count of three, just say, Pastor, you'll fail us. One, two, three. Thank you for allowing me that. I'm going to say right now, on the count of three, you will fail me. Number one, two, three. You will fail me. Yeah, you will. But our failures are not what's important. It's what we do in our failures and allow others to do to us in our failures that's going to matter. John Mark fails Paul, and Paul says, I'm not taking him on another trip again. 
And Barnabas says, we need to give him another chance. Praise God for the encouragers who want second chances. Don't you want a second chance? We're hungry for second chances. In the world of golf, they're called mulligans. And when I play golf, I do 20 second chances, just so you guys know. So, But John Mark needs to be given a second chance. Paul refuses it. Barnabas wants it. And at the point of Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas, who have ministered for 15 years together, go separate ways. It says a sharp disagreement arose between the two of them, and they could not yield to one another. Here's where we begin to see the imperfections of God's superstars in the Bible play out. We're all prone to fail. We're all prone to make mistakes. And Luke doesn't give us enough, so we choose sides. Luke just gives us an honest picture that says this is sometimes what happens when human beings are trying to do the work of God. And yet what we know is that John Mark, at the end of his life, has grown and matured because someone gave him a second chance that Paul, while in prison, says, would you bring John Mark to me during my last days? It's awesome. It makes me want to cry. We don't know the details, but all I know is that as Paul was on the eve of being beheaded for his faith, it says it would bring me great comfort to have John Mark come. Yeah, we had our differences. Yeah, I, I didn't trust him, maybe like I should. But he needs to know he's loved. Barnabas was instrumental in this. Two more points, real quick. How are we doing on time? It's 10.30. We go to 10.45. No, 10.35. Gladness. This will go real quick. It says in Acts 11, the feelings of an encourager, and feelings are not bad. I'm going to tell you right now that sometimes we have churches, church leaders, poo-poo feelings. We're not led by our feelings, but feelings are given to us, and I believe as sometimes a confirmation of what God's doing, you are called to rejoice. Joy is a feeling. And when you, would, you rejoice over God's protection and God's provision and God's pleasures, you can't help but be excited. You can't help do a little bit of this. If you're not feeling it, you're too Baptist. If you're not feeling it, you're too Lutheran. If you're not feeling it, you're too something. When you walk in the Spirit, there are going to be moments where you have these feelings, and the feelings are gladness, and that gladness is directed to the glory of God. He rejoices over what he sees God doing in Antioch in chapter 11. He is a glad person. Why? Because faith not only sees grace and looks for grace and looks to have those hope infusions, but faith delights in grace. It says, I am nothing apart from Christ. I'm everything in Him, and it doesn't matter what happens and what you say and what you think. God's got me, and doggone it, I feel excited about that. The more grace you see and taste, the more you must have. The more you walk with Christ and understand your acceptance in Him, I tell you what, you, you savor grace. You rejoice over grace. And I'll tell you what, that grace and that joy, when combined, it, it continues to keep you humble and it keeps you content. And it doesn't matter who gets the spotlight. It doesn't matter who gets the accolades. You've got Jesus and you've got Jesus. You've got everything. And that makes my heart glad. And when all these things are working, it leads to the last point. We're done. It's exactly where we started. The encourager is the lead giver in the church. When you have grace, your possessions mean nothing. 
When you have gladness in Christ, your possessions mean nothing. Here's a moment where Barnabas has this freedom because he has Jesus, and when you have Jesus, you're free from attachment to things, and now you're free to be attached to people. This is what I'm praying for our community, that we're not attached to our things, our jobs, our hobbies, our luxuries, our identities, our reputations, that we would be attached to one another, and our attachment to one another would yield seasons of grace and erupt into feelings of gladness. Barnabas steps up and doesn't even bat an eye and says, I'll sell my land, give it to wherever has need, and I'm good with that. There's freedom in that, and we celebrate that. That's why he is isolated as this chief giver, this lead giver. And God is raising up generous people. And whether it's his own money or whether he's entrusted with other people's money, because later on in Acts, he takes offerings to other places. See, when God sees that you are a good investment for the kingdom, he's not only going to bless you, he's going to allow you to be a blessing for others. Can you just stop holding on to your stuff so much? I, I will tell you that where your heart is, where your treasures are, that's where your heart's going to be. And God's going to start with your finances. I heard a story of a pastor one time who someone said, hey, pastor, you know what? I'm really struggling in my marriage right now, can I set up a time with you? And he said, sure. Uh, and oh yeah, by the way, to, when you come meet me, bring your checkbook. Person's like, are you charging for like meeting with you now? No. But when we meet, I want to see where your heart's at. And we're going to look at your finances. Don't worry, I haven't adopted that policy into my life yet. But what, where's your heart? What's it attached to? Is it, is it attached to things and possessions and money? Free that stuff up. You know, Missio, enough for us, more for others. We're continuing to bless people. We're continuing to help people out with, with, with rent and, and electrical bills and groceries and in Ukraine and people are still giving. Enough for us, more for others. But if you're in a place where you have not yet given to a, the local church, give to the local church. Don't try to try to control. Just act on what God's prompting you to do and give. Start giving. Start with something. Don't be fixated on 10%. Give. Lewis, you thought Lewis wasn't going to make an appearance. Lewis says, I don't know what the safe rule is to give. All I know is to give more than we can spare. God doesn't want your spare change. He wants your hearts. And he wants your hearts in a place that says, there are people who have need. I have means. Lord, help me connect the two. And the local church should be your primary agency for doing that. Because if you've experienced the goodness of God, and you're being guided by God, and you can taste the glory of the grace of God, and you seek to be glad in God, the whole generosity thing is a non-issue. Because you are more blessed when you give than when you receive. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not about self-glory. This is about God's glory. The church is continuously, and I'm going to just thank God for you guys. We are continually sustained and enriched and blessed by your generosity. The early church is continually sustained and enriched and blessed by the generosity of an unsung hero named Barnabas. Who does God want you to be the Barnabas to this week? Who needs those infusions of hope this week? Be open and yielded. 
for the glory of God and watch him work. And all God's people said, Woo, let's stand, let's get out of here. We're chomping, we're chomping on time right now. What's that? I still have to meet with Mexico people. That's okay, it's good. Father, thank you for today. Thank you that you have deemed this time together to be the most important time of our week. We get to meet new people. We get to love on familiar faces. We get to celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ that has brought us life and brought us joy and brought us hope. Thank you for the community that you are working in and working through. Thank you for the unity and the the harmony that we're able to share in the Spirit. Lord, thank you for the example of the encourager. Help us to taste and see that encouraging people is good. Lord, as you are encouraging us, help us to encourage one another. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord lift his face toward you and give you his grace and peace forever and ever. Amen. Have an awesome day. See you soon. Mexico meeting.